This message was recorded at North 2011, an event organised by Christ Central, part of New Frontiers. You can find out more about Christ Central by visiting our website, ChristCentralChurches.org. My name's Reese. This is my gorgeous wife, Sarah. We're going to be talking this afternoon. The title of our seminar is uh, uh, Living on the Edge, and we're going to be talking about faith and um, telling some of the stories of our faith journey over the last while. We grew up in South Africa, got married in Cape Town in 1997, have lived in the UK ever since, uh, first serving in the church in Bishop Stortford on the leadership team there, and then in 2004 we moved to London with the Strouds and Holloways to plant Christchurch London, and uh, I've been an elder there for for the last five years. So uh, over the last while, God has spoken to us about moving on, and um, Sarah will tell you a little bit of that story in a moment. Just to say at the start, we'll use lots of personal stories of our journeys of faith, our our stories of faith, and how God has um, met us in those. Uh, And I think the thing is each one of us has our own unique uh, walk of faith. We have our own stories. God is uh, very much with each one of us. And uh, what we're hoping is that there are some principles that you'll be able to take away from this and find useful for yourselves uh, as you go in your journeys of faith. And um, so uh, should we just pray to start off with, ask the Holy Spirit to be with us. God, we thank you so much that you call us to be with you in your purposes. We thank you that you don't just save us and wipe the slate clean and take us straight to heaven, but you save us, and then you call us into your purposes. You call us into a partnership with you, and that partnership is a journey of faith. And we thank you, God, for the promises that you've spoken over us as a movement. We thank you, Lord, for what Jeremy spoke about last night in terms of the promises over us, the apostolic call on us as a people. We thank you, God, for just what Terry was sharing this morning, how we just catch that sense of faith, how you've taken him on his journey of faith. You've taken each one of us on our journeys of faith, and and, and together we're seeing something glorious for you. And we're so grateful, O God, for the privilege of being part of that which you're doing. And we just want to submit ourselves to you, Holy Spirit. We ask you, we invite you to come. We love your activity among us. We thank you that you desire to take each one of us on journeys of faith, that you have great adventures for us, that our our Christian lives are not dull, boring uh, lives, but they're caught up in the Spirit and that you're catching us up on mission, you're catching us up into your purposes, and that you've got great things for us. So God, we just pray that you'd rest upon us. I pray that you would speak to our hearts, and that in this hour that we have together, that you would deposit faith things into people's hearts that will be for the years to come, and will be result in great stories of people trusting in you and seeing your breakthrough. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Amen. Well, we're on a mission as a people, and uh, God's mission requires faith. In fact, Scripture tells us that without faith it's impossible to please God. And uh, so we're just going to talk a little bit about, we're going to talk about five different uh, uh, sort of principles that we've learned in terms of uh, living a life of faith, walking by faith. If you've got 
um, empty chairs next to you. Could you just put, it, put up your hand for a moment? There are a few people who haven't got chairs. We may need to grab some more. I don't know whether there are any more chairs. There are another three down here at the there front. There are some more down at the front. Four, sorry. Um, so, great. Okay, so there are a few more, few more chairs down at the front here. Uh, super, we've got some more chairs going out. Oh, that's great, thank you. Okay, so uh, living on the edge, living by faith today, over the last few months we've been on probably the most challenging of our faith journeys uh, that we've, uh, we've, we've had, up, had up to date. And Sears is just going to tell you a little bit about the journey that we've been on and then we'll go from there. Um, most of you will probably know that we are moving uh, to Canada and if you don't, we are, and we leave next Sunday. So um, we are very much on the sort of cusp, I guess, of um, a new adventure. And this began about, probably about a year and a half ago, in April last year, when for the first time in our lives together as a couple, we felt God beginning to stir us in terms of church planting. And um, we, at that stage, were very comfortable in London, and God had provided miraculously, time and time again, to get us to a place where actually we were provided for, and the children were in good schools, and we were living in Zone 1, and um, the church was really beginning to grow, and really trying, you know, really just living as we could, um, in a city and building the kingdom of God there, trying to be culture makers and changers, etc. And so in many ways it came as a surprise to us because, well, why move on when everything is, you know, we're, we're comfortable now. This is working at last after seven years. And um, so we really just began to engage with God on that and ask him the questions. And we spent a number of months praying And then we got to the point where it was just really a discussion between us and we hadn't heard anything external from God. So it was very much just an internal process that we were going through. And we decided to actually visit somewhere to begin to really ask God where to, is this really what you're saying? So um, having been in London, we have a real heart for, for cities and for church planting into cities. Um, you can't work with Dave Stroud for very long without being transformed <laughs> on that level. So we were really, yeah, so we thought, well, we must go to a city and we'll pray and seek God there. And for a number of completely unrelated reasons, we decided to go to Vancouver um, to to pray. We were going there for, for as I say, for other reasons, not at all expecting God to be speaking to us about moving there, but about 10 days before we, before we left, we visited some friends for dinner, and on the way over, um, we were praying and, and just saying, God, you know, we really would, we would so appreciate some, some external direction from you. Um, the conversation had been about six months long now, just between Reese and I, and it gets a bit boring after a while. 
And um, we also just, you know, began, we were really in a place of feeling the tension of involved in church leadership, leading people with you in a certain direction, casting vision for that, being faithful to that, and yet feeling this kind of tug in a different direction and not quite knowing what that was or what that looked like. So we just said to God, please, you know, we're desperate. Please speak to us. And we arrived at dinner. And this particular couple had invited another friend over, and um, we, so we... He happened to be the Anglican curate at their local church. Yes. He was also a magician. Um, (laughs) We won't go into that. Anyway, (laughs) he did his magician thing. No, we had a good laugh with him and um, and his girlfriend and our friends. Had a wonderful evening with them. And at the end of the evening, just before we were about to leave, um, he leant over the table and he said, just before you go, would you mind if I prayed over you and prophesied? And we were like, sure, but aren't you Anglican? You know, I mean, do you do that? (laughs) So, no, any jokes? Um, we, we've been very humbled by the Anglicans in this story. They come up trumps, I tell you. And um, he basically, he said to Reese, I feel God saying you're at a crossroads and um, it's time for you to stop seeing yourself primarily as a worship leader. You need to step up and lead a church and God has various things for you in the future and went into a lot of detail. And um, we came away from that, sat in the car and we were like, Whoa, <laughs> at last God started to speak. And I uh, went home. One of the things he had said was, God has been speaking to you over the years, and you've written down the prophetic words God's given you. You must go back and read them, because what I'm bringing to you tonight is, it's nothing new. It's just, it's now is the time. It's all about timing. And so we went home, about half past twelve that night, printing off all the prophetic words we've ever had in our lives and um, reading them. And it was incredible the extent to which they lined up. And especially in the light of what he had said that evening, it kind of all tied together. And we were like, wow, God's really saying something. Yes, he's said church planting before. He's said church leadership before. We just haven't really engaged with it. Um, and so, yeah, we, we basically were very encouraged by that. About four days later, we reached at prayer and fasting, and Steve Horn came up to him and said, for the last couple of days, I've seen you as an icebreaker, and um, I see you carving a channel through sheet ice, and behind you, there are vessels following you. And he began to prophesy and apply that to do with worship and regional and da 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 And we was just standing there thinking, very interesting. You've just seen me leading worship for a couple of days of prayer and fasting. But, you know, if I think about ice and icebreakers, what comes to mind is, you know, Canada or Antarctica or, yeah, whatever. But I don't think we'll be able to Antarctica. Not enough people there, really. So um, we, he came away from that with a real sense of rise of faith. And then we flew to Vancouver about four days later. And on the plane, we sat next to each other. Wow, I wonder whether God's going to speak to us. Maybe it's even Canada. Wow, so exciting. We get to Vancouver, and um, we get into our hotel room, and we start talking. What about church planting? And the more we talk, the more I cry. And I'm just like, what are we thinking? This is, this is ridiculous. No. No, 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 no. It's a world recession. <laughs> What are we thinking? (laughs) 
Um, and I'm an accountant, so <laughs> the finances of it were just going, going through my mind. And I was thinking, we are so, we're catered for. What, what, why would we do this? This is ridiculous. Um, go to, from something to nothing. I mean, th- that's crazy. And um, we've had battles with schools. Why would we leave all of that? And I was very much in a place of fear. And every time we talked, I would cry some more. Until about three days on, Reese was like, okay, let's just, let's just take the pressure off. We might never come back here. Let's have a great time. So we just did some lovely sightseeing. And we came to the end of our week there, because we only had about a week. And we decided, okay, God is speaking to us about church planting. But we'll go back to London at least a couple more years there. Um, we will spend a couple of years praying and seeking God. Let's do this properly, do this diligently, and he can talk to us. There's no rush. We don't need to be impulsive. And it might be Canada, but um, probably, you know, who knows? It might be anywhere. We'll just go back to London, and we'll put this on the back burner. So that's where we got to. And then... All right, so uh, so we came back from Van- Vancouver, and uh, we were sitting with a friend over dinner that uh, that following weekend, and telling him the story. And he said to us, I-, "I just don't really understand. On one hand, it seems like God's speaking very clearly to you. On the other hand, you're saying two more years." And uh, he just challenged us to to pray. And so we decided that that week we would uh, take out fasting and praying. And uh, our readings that week, uh, throughout the week, were uh, 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 God calling Abraham to go uh, to a land that he would show him. It wasn't even to a particular place. It was to a land that he would show him. And then it was God calling the Israelites uh, out of Egypt. And uh, one of the commentators made the comment. He said, um, uh, if the Israelites had waited for a five-point plan, they would have never entered the promised land and inherited what God had for them. So we, we felt very much like God was speaking to us. And we thought, by the end of the week, we thought, we really are clear that God is calling us to go. So we met with the, other, uh, the, the elders and uh, just said to them, guys, this is what God's speaking to us. And uh, in that process, made the decision that we were going without really knowing where we were going to. And uh, it was a, a little process that happened after that, we, uh, funnily enough, we met up with this Anglican curate and uh, he uh, said to, to us, would you mind if I brought the vicar along? And uh, so we're sitting down. the same magician, just to put you in the picture. <laughs> so we're sitting, we're sitting in this coffee shop in, in West Ealing and, uh, uh, and Mark, the vicar, uh, said to us, you know, tell us about yourself and started talking about what God was speaking to us about Vancouver and... Um, he suddenly became very animated, pulled out his phone, said, I got an email earlier this week, and I need to read this email to you. And he, he found the email. He said, this came in on Monday, and uh, the title of the email, or the subject of the email, is um, Canada Calling. And he then read us the email, and it was all about what God has been doing in Vancouver. Now, Cersei, over the past few days, had been saying to God, you've used these guys before. It would be great if you would use them again in helping us in terms of giving some direction in terms of, is it Vancouver or is it somewhere else? And actually, that had become our, our particular question, is it Vancouver 
or is it somewhere else? And um, so uh, we got to the end of that uh, email, and he put the phone down. It was all about what God's doing in Vancouver and uh, how they need uh, leaders. <laughs> it was an amazing email. And uh, he put the phone down on the table, and he looked at me, and he says, so it seems like God sent me an email for you. <laughs> so we, uh, we went home. For Cersei, I think that really helped her. And for me, he... he um, he just challenged us really to, to, to step out the boat and to go with God. It was a very helpful time. And uh, I, um, over the next two weeks, really just said to God, if this is you, um, I want you just to confirm it in our hearts. And I'm, I'm happy to, to do this. And so over the following two weeks, we came to a place of peace. This is what God's called us to do. And really the rest is history. Now, the, the reality of it is that having made the decision, we then faced all the challenges. Um, first challenge being the challenge of visas. Uh, church planter is not on the list of desired occupations uh, in Canada. And, um, but God has quite miraculously given us a way in to the nation uh, and in working with our friends in Fredericton, which has been a, a great delight to us. And uh, then at that point, January, we were very much on our own, um, feeling like, here we go, us and our two kids off to Vancouver and began to pray for a team. And God has really blessed us with uh, an outstanding team. Some of them are here uh, today and um, many of them here on this weekend. So we've been very, we're, we're very grateful to God for the team that he's beginning to gather around us. About 20 or so people moving from this country to, uh, to Vancouver with us. Um, we uh, uh, have our house on the market. Now we go next Sunday. Our house hasn't sold yet. And uh, we've worked through all the practicalities. Should we stay? Should we prolong? Should we delay? Should we, what do we do? And uh, we just, and this is part of our faith walk. It hasn't sold. We, this is a huge challenge to us at the moment in reality. And, um, but we're trusting God. He's provided in so many other ways that we know that he will provide in this way in due course. And that we know his timing is perfect. We've been in this position before, a few times actually, with houses. And uh, we find ourselves in this position again. And then fourthly, finances. It is hugely expensive to plant a church in a, in a, in a world-class city. Vancouver happens to be the third most expensive city in the world after Hong Kong and, uh, after Hong Kong and Sydney. Uh, it's Vancouver and then Tokyo. Um, so, uh, so uh, there are some significant challenges that we've seen God already meet, and there are some significant challenges that we are uh, still praying through. I think when it comes to faith, there are two things that undergird faith. There are two truths. The first truth is that God is sovereign, and the second truth is God is good. Now, if God was sovereign but he wasn't completely good, that would be terrifying. And if God was good, but he wasn't totally sovereign, it would be useless. Faith is birthed, or faith is built on the fact that God is both good and sovereign. And that when we come to him, we know that when we, when we step out in faith, God is both for us, and God is over the circumstances. One of the prophetic words that we've had as we go to Canada is that the red tape will become a red carpet for you. So we, there was a picture that was uh, of all this red tape. And I tell you what, there's red tape. And, and there, are, there are just reams of red tape. And he saw this picture of all this red tape, these 
being stretched out, pulled out, and it all being laid down to become a red carpet. Now, we're trusting God for that. And that's been a part of this whole process of, of believing, God, you're good, and you are able to make this happen. So the first of the, the sort of five principles that I want to talk about is, is the fact that faith is relational. Jesus is at the center of our faith. Faith is, in one sense, a natural result of what happens when we begin to believe in, in Jesus, when we begin to see him as he is. In, in one sense, as his glory fills our sights, as, as we begin to get a bigger picture of God, the natural thing is to begin to respond to him in faith. You are who you say you are, therefore I can begin to step out into things that you are speaking to me about. And faith really is rooted in a large vision of God. When our vision of God is small, we tend to look elsewhere for security. We look to financial security, we look to insurance, we look to whatever other things we surround ourselves. Not that any of those things are bad, but we tend to look to them for our security. When we have a large vision of God, when we are engaging with him relationally, we begin to find ourselves stepping out in faith naturally because the natural thing to do is to believe him, believe that what he's saying to us is is real, is true, and we begin to act upon it. So faith really, at the heart of faith, is a living, dynamic, growing relationship with Jesus. And I think it's interesting, we're going to just refer back to to Abraham. Terry mentioned this this morning. I was sitting there thinking, oh no, you're going to say everything we're going to say this afternoon. Uh, But um, in Genesis 12, Abraham was the first person who went. He was the first sent person. And we're all sent, we're all called to go. Um, whether it's across the nations, across the world, whether it's across our street or across the office, we're all called to go. That's, that's the call on every single believer. In Genesis 12, Abram is, said, is told by God, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. Now, it's interesting. There are three things that Scripture mentions uh, being asked of Abram. God says, go from your country or your land, in other translations, your kindred and your father's house. What do those three things mean? Well, the first land refers to livelihood. Go from that which provides for you. Go from your source of income. Go from your source of provision. And uh, the second kindred is your family and your friends, your support structures, those that are built around you. The third one Father's house, when we talk about Father's house, we tend to think of that simply as a place that we dwell. But even to a first century Jew, and this is way, way back beyond a first century Jew, even to a first century Jew, they would understand the concept of my father's house as being referring to my identity. So, for example, if you were a first century Jew, and let's say I was, I, my name is Eliab, and I would be known in the community as Eliab bar Elijah. Bar means son of. So in my community, I'd be known as Eliab, son of Elijah. And so everyone would know me with respect to my father. My identity in the community would be with respect to my father's family, to the lineage of my father. So when God calls Abraham to go, he says, I want your identity to move from being in your father's household to being in me. So 
Is God simply saying that we should all give up our livelihoods, we should give up and, and leave our family and our friends, and we should give up our identity? No, it's more subtle than that, isn't it? He's not saying to every one of us, go and leave your job tomorrow, or Monday, Tuesday, go and resign. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, now that you are a believer, your job, your land, your livelihood is in me. I am your provider, and I currently do it through your current job. But when I call you, I might choose to do it through another job. And it gives us security that when God says, I want you to move, there will be provision for you where he, where he sends you. And the great thing, of course, is that we see that with Abram. As he follows God, it doesn't make him poorer. It makes him more wealthy. His flocks grow. There is provision for him in the land that God calls him to. Secondly, God's not calling us to disown our family or to leave all our friends, but he's asking us to find our primary source of support in him and not in those around us. And as we go on a journey of faith, it is important for us to be investing in our walk with him. And finally, as we do that, we are seeking our identity in him. I know for myself, um, I've been, uh, for the last um, few years, we've been in London, we've been uh, leading a church, and it's easy to get your, your in identity in these things. It's easy to, to say, oh, you know, I'm a worship leader, I've been standing in front of 500 people every Sunday leading worship. My identity can get drawn into that. Right? In, in, in a few weeks' time, I'm going to be standing in front of no one. <laughs> and uh, then we'll see where my identity is. Is my identity in God or is it in, in this role that I play that puts me in front of people? Okay? And so God's asking of us that our identity, there is a relational sense that we are called to be with God. Now, secondly, faith comes from promises. And we see it go, the, 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 the story go on. Genesis 12, verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. Now, I mean, to a guy who doesn't have a child, I will make you into a great nation. This is an amazing promise, isn't it? And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I mean, what an incredible promise that God gives to Abram. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, I'm not sure how many 75 or older people we have in the room today, but if Abram, if Abram could do it at the age of 75, I think we could all do it, can't we? What's holding us back? God said, come on, go. If we receive a promise from God, we can respond to that. And the reality of it is that we have received many promises from God. Some of them are, at the most basic level, we've received many promises from God in Scripture that we can begin to live out. On another level, as new frontiers, we have received some incredible promises. Jeremy talked about some of them. Last night, the whole, the whole thing of changing the expression of Christianity around the world. I mean, what a promise that God has spoken over us. And thirdly, there is the whole thing of it, many of us, many of us, if, how, how many of you feel like God's given you specific promises for your life? Okay, there we go. 
loads of us. So there are, I mean, we are sitting here in this room, we are a people of promise. There, there are hundreds of promises wrapped up just in this group of people stand, sitting in this room today. It's an incredible thing. I mean, the potential, if God is faithful to, to fulfill every promise spoken that is represented in this room, what an incredible powerhouse there is right here. Isn't that phenomenal? What could God do in the next 10, 15, 20 years by us receiving and believing on and going after these promises? Do you want to? Yeah, just in terms of that, um, I think one of the things is that when we, when we have promises from God, there is a real, almost a tension that one, that one sort of grows into as you walk with God between having those promises, receiving them, um, and really believing God for them, putting them deep into us ourselves, um, and not allowing them to be robbed from us or not dropping them along the way, not um, beca- developing a, or sort of allowing our hearts to become cold or hard, because very often promises don't immediately um, sprout and grow. Very often promises are things that take seed into us and take a long time to come into fruition, not allowing ourselves to become cynical. And I think in that process, God brings maturity in us so that when we do step into the promise, we're in a place where we can shoulder that promise and where we can be faithful with it. And um, so there's that aspect and then there is the tension of not holding God hostage to promises. So um, I remember, for example, when I was in my early 20s and when I, very, very, when I was a teenager, God, I felt God speak to me about um, the fact that my life, my calling was tied to my husband's calling. And um, so I grew up with that and just... It wasn't some, it wasn't a loud voice or anything, but it was just kind of a, a deep sense of this is something significant in my life. And I watched all my friends around me getting married until I was the last one standing. And I thought, oh my gosh, have I completely, have I got that totally wrong? And, um, there was a real temptation at that point to, to settle for what was good. And there was, there was a particular, guy, one or two along the way, that I could very easily have just said, all right then, no, do you know what, I'm not going to hold on to that promise. I'm going to go with this because it's really good. Um, And I am so grateful to God for enabling me to hold on to the promise when it didn't look good. And um, yeah, when when Reese was 16, well, 6,000 miles away and wasn't in the same country as me anymore. And I, yeah, it didn't look like it was really going to happen. So, yeah, and yet. There's a whole story to that, which we won't <laughs> go into now. But And yet God, God, um, God did. But he had to first take me through that place of saying, um, I'll die to this promise. Because actually it might just have been my own imagination. And to stay in a place of humility all the time, even while we carry promises, 
um, to hold them, in other words, lightly before him with open hands, you gave it, or I believe you gave it, and so it's your prerogative, it's your right to take it back. And um, also recognizing we can hear wrong. And um, so maybe, maybe actually that promise isn't quite right. And um, so, and that is attention, and it's kind of the thing of, oh, am I, am I kind of losing my way, or am I just being humble before the Lord and holding those promises lightly before before Him, allowing Him to, if necessary, burn them all up and resurrect them if they were really from Him in the first place. Receiving the promise is an active thing, isn't it? We don't passively sit around and wait for the promise to come to us. Uh, if, if God has spoken to you about something in the future, asking the question, how do I prepare myself for this? Is there study that I need to do? Do I need to uh, begin to move in a particular direction in my life? How am I, in, in, am I putting myself in the way of seeing the promises come to pass? Or am I simply kind of putting it out on, on a shelf and saying, well, hopefully one day it'll just kind of pop into my lap? And uh, most of the time, faith, you know, what Sarah was just describing in terms of the whole thing for her of going through a journey, there's the, the journey involves uh, testing our characters, doesn't it? God, I think the faith journey is often one of the key places where God tests our characters. I think I've been more challenged, more tested as we've walked in, in, in for example, for us over these last few months, as we've wrestled with how are we going to see this happen, it's impossible and, and going back to God time and time again, I think God has done a, a huge amount in our own characters in that process. And God often uses the faith journey as a way of challenging us and developing us. Now, thirdly, faith is not super spiritual. Um, it, it's, it's interesting. I, I think just a couple of weeks ago we saw, uh, Cezzy and I uh, had some time with a couple in our church back in, in London who are struggling uh, with not having children. And, um, and he was saying to me, you know, I've, uh, just, some of my friends have been saying to me, just believe, just believe. And, uh, and, and, and even live as though it's happened already. Now, I think we need to be a little bit careful because I think we can get into really dodgy ground with this kind of stuff. We can almost begin to live in a state of denial of reality. The reality is they don't have kids. And I said to him, do you have a specific promise from God that you will have children? He said, no, I don't. I said, well, in that case, you cannot simply say, I will just believe and it will happen. You can't because you don't have a promise that says that. But you can go back to God and say, it was you who said, be fruitful and multiply. It was you who gave us promises in terms of who we are. It was you who put the equipment for having children into our bodies. It was you who put the desire for children into our hearts. God, would you give us children? You can pray into that. But you can't, in that sense, live in a place where somehow, by my faith, I'm going to drum something up. I'm going to turn an unreality into reality. And the thing is, with, with Abraham, uh, again, we see in, in Romans 14, 19 to 21, he engaged with the reality of the situation. He, he, he didn't kind of live in this kind of dream world or, or this kind of denial. He, it, it says this... He, Paul writes, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, 
which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old. Okay? He, he considered his body. He, he engaged with the reality of it. And then it says, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. He considered these things. He engaged with the reality. The reality of my situation is we've got no kids. But, and then it says, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So he lived in reality, but in engaging with the reality, he then considered God able to do what God had said he would do. And I think this is crucial in terms of how we engage with faith. Faith does not kind of pretend that the reality that we live in is not real. Faith engages with the reality of our situation now, but says, you who made the promise are able to bring it to fulfillment. No matter what my situation is right now, if you have given me a promise, I can trust you that that will come to pass. And the, the process of receiving a, a, a promise from God, of walking by faith, is not a, a sort of super spiritual thing. It is a day-by-day walk with God, calling on Him and trusting that He is able to do what He has promised. Does that make sense? I think it's such an important principle. Then number four, faith requires action. So, <laughs> did you get that? Abraham left at the age of seven. God spoke, Abraham went and did it. Faith is an active thing. Our responding in faith requires action of us. And, and in this sense, God calls each one of us to be a disciple. So, as he calls us... Uh, we go and we make other disciples. This is, this is, so this is a promise given to every single one of us. Every single one of us is included in this. Whether the call on your life right now is about going to another nation, whether it's about staying here, the call on your life is to go make a disciple. If you're called to another nation, it is to go there and make disciples. And it's really important that as we process the whole question of I am going, that we are not just processing I am going, but what am I going to do? The the thing that we're going to do is of huge significance. I'm going to make disciples in this place. For us, in going to Vancouver, the beginning of the journey is is getting there. The rest of the time will all be about making disciples. And, And in that sense, God has given us promises rooted in Scripture about the fact that he has called us to be fruitful. He's called us to make disciples. And so for each one of us... God has written, you are a disciple maker over every single one of your lives. And sometimes I think it's easy to almost drift through thinking, well, I'm kind of good at this little thing. I'm kind of, there are other people who are good at making disciples. No, every single one of us. This promise is given for each one of us. You are all disciple makers. You are all called to be a disciple. And in that calling... You are then called to go and make disciples. There is a going and there is a making. It's so important that we get that. There is a going and there is a making. What is it? I want to ask you that question. What is it that God has? Where is it that God has called you to go? Now, right now, it may be across the street. Right now, it may be across your office. 
Or right now, it might be to another nation, to another city, to another place. Where is the go? And what does the making look like? How are you engaging in the process of making disciples? In what way is your life aligning to this overarching principle that God has given us? So the faith walk involves going and making. And as, as you go, the principle or the process of how you engage with that is of key significance. And it might be that right now, God is wanting to speak to you as much about the making as he wants to speak to you about the going. I wonder whether some of you are here today asking the question, is God speaking to me about going somewhere? And it may well be that actually he is speaking to you about going somewhere. But I want to ask you in the process of that, are you listening to God speaking to you about the making? Making of disciples. What does that look like? How are you living that out? How is that being worked out in your situation now so that as you go, you are more effective in doing it there than you have been up till now. Does that make sense? You know, the church is at the center of God's purposes for the world. And I just want to read you something Bill Hybels wrote. He just wrote this incredible uh, picture of how the local church gripped him. And I think as we talk about this whole question of faith... It is important for us to, to, to root the promises that God is giving us into God's eternal plan. God has one thread that runs through history, and it is the thread of his people. And everything that we receive by faith must link into that in some way or another. And Hybels paints this amazing picture. Just listen to this. He says this. In the early 70s, I had an experience so powerful that it divided my life into before and after. I was a college student, taking a required course in New Testament studies to complete my major. To my way of thinking, this class was guaranteed to be brain-numbingly boring. A required Bible class? It had flatliner written all over it. I was sure that the only challenge this class would offer me would be the challenge of trying to stay awake. As I staked out my usual claim to a back row seat and assumed a comfortable slouch, legs extended, arms folded, I had no idea that a spiritual ambush awaited me. Toward the end of the lecture, just as I thought it was time to pack up and leave, the professor, Dr. Gilbert Bilizakian, decided he wasn't quite finished for the day. Closing his notes, he stepped out from behind the lectern. Then he bared his soul to a room full of unsuspecting 20-year-olds. Students, he said, there was once a community of believers who were so totally devoted to God that their life together was charged with the Spirit's power. In that band of Christ followers, believers loved each other with a radical kind of love. They took off their masks and shared their lives with one another. They laughed and cried and prayed and sang and served together in authentic Christian fellowship. Those who had more shared free with those who had less until socio-economic barriers melted away. 
People related together in ways that bridged gender and racial chasms and celebrated cultural differences. Acts 2 tells us that this community of believers, this church, offered unbelievers a vision of life that was so beautiful it took their breath away. It was so bold, so creative, so dynamic that they couldn't resist it. Verse 47 tells us that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Dr. Bilizakian's words were as much a lament as they were a dream. A sad longing for the restoration of the first century church. I had never imagined a more compelling vision. In fact, that day, I didn't just see the vision, I was seized by it. Suddenly, there were tears in my eyes and a responsive chord in my heart. Where, I wondered, had the beauty gone? Why was that power not evident in the contemporary church? Would the Christian community ever see that potential realized again? Since that day, I have been held hostage to the powerful picture of Acts 2 painted in that college classroom. In the weeks and months after that first lecture, I was haunted by these questions. What if a true community of God could be established in the 20th century? What if what happened in Jerusalem could happen in Chicago? Such a movement of God would transform this world and usher people into the next. I was a goner, utterly captured by a single vision of the potential beauty of the local church. In 1975, that vision led me and a handful of colleagues to start Willow Creek Community Church. Now, almost 30 years later, that vision still rivets my attention sparks my passion, and calls forth the best effort I can give. What an incredible picture. An incredible picture of what we are called to. The church is at the center of God's purposes for the world, and we all, every single one of us, have promises in the church. You are all today those who have promises over you in the church for the glory of God in terms of his kingdom. I just feel the Holy Spirit is with us right now. Can I pray for us? Holy Spirit, I want to ask right now, you might just want to open your hands. Holy Spirit, I want to ask you right now that you would drop things into people's hearts. It may be something about going, or it may be something about making. I ask you that right now you would drop things into people's hearts. I thank you for the way that you propelled the church in Acts forward. How the gospel spread like wildfire in those early years. God, what will you do with us? What promise have you got in this place today? Jesus, we want to honor you. We want to receive that which you have for us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come on each one and that you would bring clarity. I call out dreams. 
that may have even died. I pray, Holy Spirit, for your hand to be powerfully on each one of us now. God, we say we submit to you. We submit to your purposes in our lives. You're a good God. And you're a sovereign God. More Holy Spirit. Come, O God. Come, O God. Come, O God. I want to pray now, Lord, for an impartation of faith. Jesus, you are full of faith. And you say to us, the righteous shall live by faith. I want to pray for an impartation of faith. I pray for gifts of faith deposited now in this place for things in the future. For your purposes. I pray, Lord Jesus, for deposits that will grow and grow and grow. For seeds that will become oak trees in the years to come. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We just receive from you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Rest on us, Holy Spirit. Rest on us, Holy Spirit. I'm just going to tell you one final story and uh, then we'll just have a short period open for questions and answers if people want to ask anything. Um, a few years ago, we were looking for a new venue. We'd outgrown our last venue and uh, we'd found a venue on the South Bank uh, called Vinopolis. It's a wine museum. Uh, great, great venue. And um, we... Um, I, I had begun to have conversation with the people at this venue, and um, I was was actually the week of the Brighton Leaders Conference because I remember I was down in my hotel room and I took a phone call from the lady who uh, was um, representing the venue, and she said to me, um, "I've got some really good news for you." Um, we normally hire out the venue at £10,000 a day. Well, we're prepared to give it to you for 5000 <laughs> And my heart sank. <laughs> and I said to her, thanks so much. That's really great news. The only problem is that we can't possibly afford more than 2400 and actually what we'd really love to do is come to you guys in a couple of months' time and do that for six months at £1,800. And on the other end of the phone, there was this indrawn breath. And I could feel ice coming down the phone line. 
And she said to me, well, I will chat with the CEO and see what he says. But the tone of her voice said, you are nuts. <laughs> so about a week later, myself and one of the, uh, the other guys from the church guy called Andy were going to see them. And uh, just outside Vinopolis is a pub called the Anchor Pub. It's right on the river side, on the side of the Thames. And we were kind of stomping around in the, uh, um, by, the, by the river, praying and saying, God, please would you give us this venue? And as we were praying, I just felt God speak to me. And he said, the king requires your building. And as that hit me, I just thought, this is ours. This, this building is ours. So I went into the meeting feeling full of faith, where I have to say I had not been feeling full of faith up to that point. Go in and Malcolm, the CEO, and a couple of his guys are sitting there, and myself and Andy, and he starts saying, you know, well, we're looking forward to doing this, and we can do this, and we can do this, and we're talking about all these details as if it's all going to happen. And I'm thinking... What about the finance? So eventually I say, excuse me, Malcolm, um, could we just talk about the finance side of things for a moment? Because that's kind of obviously a key factor to this. He says, yeah, 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 that's all fine. And off he goes again, talking about other stuff. I think to myself, what does that mean? That's all fine. What does that mean? Um, So uh, about 10 minutes later, I uh, say, excuse me, I, I... Forgive me for bringing this up again, but I just want to just get clarity on this question of the finance. He says, yeah, 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 we've sorted all of that out. So, uh, and then off he goes again, talking about something else. I'm thinking, oh no, what on earth is it that he thinks we've sorted out? So uh, a third time I said, I'm really sorry. This finance thing is a deal breaker for us because, you know, we've got a certain amount of money that we can do. So we, if we could, if you don't mind, if we could just talk about the finance. He says, yeah, absolutely. We're sorted. We're, you're going to pay us 1800 for the first part and 2400 for the second. And, you know, it's all sorted, isn't it? That's fine, isn't it? <laughs> and I almost fell off my chair. And the thing is, God is faithful. And as we've been talking about faith, it's important for us to remember God is faithful. And when we come to God, going through the process of faith, God meets us with faithfulness. And if you're holding on to promises from God, he will meet those. And the truth is that Abraham's promise displays the faithfulness of God. Because today, we see every nation being blessed, don't we? We see the truth of God's faithfulness. Sezi and I have known tremendous faithfulness from God in our lives. We know that in these months and years to come, we will see tremendous faithfulness from God in the Vancouver church plant. We know that our team members will see tremendous faithfulness from God because they have responded to him with faith. And whatever your faith challenges right now, and I hope all of you have a few of them, You will see God's faithfulness if you press into that and go for it with him. If you dig into your relationship with God, 
if you give yourself to prayer and you continue to bring the promises before him, you will see his faithfulness in due course. Thank you so much for being with us. Um, so if you have any questions, we're here. Feel free or catch us on the campsite over the next couple of days. Thanks so much.